On this episode of Nurses Voices, we'll be talking with a nurse who recently retired after 44 years in a diverse and rewarding career. What have been the significant changes in nursing he's seen over his career? And what's he see on the horizon for nursing and for himself? This is Nurses Voices. Nurses Voices is sponsored by Pfizer Canada. It is supported by the Canadian Nurses Foundation and the Canadian Nurses Association. Welcome to Nurses Voices. I'm Mary Wheeler. And I'm Gail Donuth. We ended season one speaking with a nursing student, Rebecca Gustafson, who was just starting her career. As we end season two, it's timely that we have an opportunity to speak with a nurse who has recently retired from his nursing career. Over the span of his career, from clinical positions to progressive roles in nursing and public policy with Health Canada, the Canadian Nurses Association, a role he called the absolute best job of his career, and adding that's a pretty good way to go out. And as principal of his own consultancy, our guest has had a seat at the many tables influencing nursing and health policy. Historically, retirement meant one thing. Today, there are many definitions of retirement as there are people retiring. We need to think of retirement as part of our careers rather than the end of a career as a new chapter in our lives. Gail and I look forward to discussing with our guests the highlights of his career in nursing, what challenges nursing faces, and what the next chapter in his career might look like. Welcome to Nurses Voices, Mike Villeneuve. Mike has worked in healthcare for 44 years, starting as an orderly in 1978 and retiring as the Chief Executive Officer of the Canadian Nurses Association in March 2022. Mike holds a bachelor and master's degree from the University of Toronto. In recognition of his contributions to nursing and healthcare, Mike was inducted as a fellow of the American Academy of Nursing in 2019. And in June 2022, Mike was awarded an honorary fellowship in the Royal College of Nursing of the United Kingdom. He joins us today from his home in the farmland of rural eastern Ontario, where he's gradually making the transition from a busy professional career to playing dad full-time to his girls, Frida and Ella, two lively black Russian terriers who like a lot of his attention. What an amazing career, Mike. What have been some of the highlights? I'll just share a few with you. The first happened in the first year because I had intended to be a surgeon. And I had watched my grandmother, who was a director of nursing, head of nutrition, you know, you do a lot of things in a tiny hospital in a rural place, had introduced us to doctors and nurses. And I just became instantly fascinated. And of course, the gender roles were very clear. The men were in charge and the women were helping. So I decided, well, I want to be, I want to be a surgeon, so I'll, I'll do the boy role. I uh, tailored my education in high school to be science versus arts and those sorts of things, uh, intending to go to med school. And then in the summer of 1978, after my first year of science at the University of Toronto, I came back to Ottawa for the summer and I got a job as the orderly at the French hospital, Montfort Hospital here. And my first shift was in the emergency room. I'm sure it was not two hours before I understood, oh, I don't, I'm not interested in what those guys are doing. It's still mostly guys. I'm interested in what those women are doing. 
And they, they are emerge nurses, right? So, you know, they're smart, sharp decision makers, vocal. And I thought they, they looked smarter than anybody else around me at that time. And I instantly thought, I want to be like them, not like women, but like the work that those women were doing. And I never looked back and never applied to medicine and never did anything again. And I never regretted or ever changed my mind. That intervention, you know, of that job, which was, you know, summer job for me, it wasn't, didn't start out to be something that changes your life, did change my life. And then there were other moments, you know, with patients, which I remember very, very clearly, you know, the great impact you can make with the smallest thing, the smallest thing, nothing fancy, no 16-page care plan, just human connection with people could just completely change the course of someone's, if not their trajectory, their memory of the trajectory. A couple more and then I'll stop. One was walking into the University of Toronto master's program. It changed my life. I, my brain was blown open by people like Kay Arpin and Dot Pringle and Gail Donner. It was a tremendous experience. And the last thing I'll say, much later, so flash forward to this job that I just finished, and people pay you to fly to the Middle East to talk to them for 45 minutes. And there isn't a single time I didn't sort of pinch myself going, what? how the hell did I get here? That was never in any crystal ball of mine at all. So the second 20 years was a game changer because it you know, sort of flipped my whole life around. Just to tell you how that happened, I was not working for a short period. And one day, uh, Linda O'Brien Pallas called me and said, we're having trouble with a study at Mount Sinai. They were doing chart reviews. So I was trying to help them move this thing along. Along the hall comes Judith Shamian. I didn't know that she was the chief nurse for the country. And she said, what are you doing here? I had worked for her before. I knew her quite well. Told her. Got a job? No. Nope. <laughs> and she said, want to work for me? Y yes, of course. I was in Ottawa two weeks later. And that changed the course of my life. That leap of faith. And I say that now to every student who ever asks. If somebody asks you to do something, they already mm -hmm. think you can do it. And she had faith in me. I think it panned out. It took some time. <laughs> but in the end, it panned out. There weren't a lot of low points, but there were times when I didn't follow my own thinking about the leap of faith. Mm -hmm. And when I was at Health Canada, they were having trouble with a study at OECD in Paris, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, for people who don't know that acronym. They were doing a study of the performance of their health systems. And one section of it was on nursing shortages. Dr. Shamian says, I, I want you to go and, and work at OECD. Uh, they will do an exchange or whatever they called it. It's about a six-month thing and get, help them get this fixed. Because they had 600 economists, 95% men and, and white men, by the way, just to give context to some of the decision-making that was going on. <laughs> it probably maybe still is. I said, no, I can't go. No, I, I can't. I can't do that. And I had friends who said, Are you, have you lost your mind? They're going to, they want you to go to Paris? So after I rethought it, uh, I did go. And the first day was awful. 
because you're alone in a new place and it's a Sunday afternoon and it's raining in Paris. And I, you know, I didn't speak perfect French and I, I thought, oh, I was right. And then two days later, I was like, what were you thinking? And what happened in the moment where you said, I don't want to go? Well, first of all, I'm brutally introverted. And I have been my whole life. And I think people think because I'm a bit of a clown and carry on and can do good speech that uh, you're, you're not shy, which I'm not. But the cost is tremendous. So if I do a speech for an hour and then they want to take you to dinner, I want to go in the corner of a hotel room alone and, and literally collapse for yeah. hours. I thought at the time, I just can't, I'm just not in the right space right now to, like, this is going to sound so maybe immature. I hadn't flown alone. Move, find an apartment, you know, orchestrate a life, try to get a telephone line, because that was still a thing. It's 2003. And have the French telephone service, have a translator come and help me. All of that just seemed like, no, I'm just going to stay safe here in Ottawa where I know the routine. And then I just thought, idiot like what <laughs> give your head a shake you will be fine and and I, it was perfectly fine the decision was the right one of course to to pick up and go did that then open other doors for you one of the major uh elements that changed was it really introduced me to more clear thinking about economics. I absorbed a lot in those six months. And Jeremy Hurst was the head of the division, you know, one of the world's most esteemed economists. It taught me to not be afraid to speak up to a bunch of strangers. And I think I was always a bit intimidated by rooms full of men who, who knew a lot about numbers. Because I felt, well, I know a lot about cranial nerves, not particularly helpful in doing a study of the OECD, oddly enough. But I can remember when Dr. Hurst, Jeremy Hurst, set, came really to the conclusion that the entire issue—I'm oversimplifying what he said—but they had come to a general conclusion that the problem in nursing shortages was pay. It all comes down to salary, because that's how economists look at it, right? It's the labor market. There's inputs, there's outputs. You pay more, people work more. When I said, you know, Jeremy, nurses work for reasons other than salary, his pencil broke in half, because he was talking. I remember the pencil break. <laughs> and there was silence in the room. <laughs> and that's when we talked about, they're already full-time and working lots of overtime. There's not trouble getting them to work. There's something in the working conditions driving people away, driving the high sick time and the overtime. Of blood. But and so it, I learned, and, and then more people were asked to come to the room and talk about that. You know, and I tell this to younger people and they ask like students, how do you do this? Or what do you do? Know a lot about a couple of things, have a good story, you know, be able to dive deep on a few statistics. At that place, all I really needed to know was quite a, quite a, good basic knowledge of health, human resources, and the nursing workforce, and what was the sick time and the overtime and those sorts of things. So the, the report moved away from where the problem was, which is it's all about pay, to know there's a bunch of other things going on here. Canadian and American nurses, by and large, weren't striking for pay. Often that becomes the proxy because they don't know how to describe the other real issues or nobody will pay any attention to it. So it comes down to, just like now in COVID, well, you're just not paying me enough. That's not what they talk about with other nurses, though. They talk about safety and staffing and how many people fall and I didn't get my work done and this kind of stuff. It was an eye-opener to me. 
uh, coming out of OECD that I then used in other points in my career, which is how do you talk to a powerful group of people that you're scared of and get their mm-hmm. attention? Mm-hmm. And like a committee in parliament, I, f- I would be sick to my stomach every time before I went in those, even two months ago. Mm-hmm. I'd be nuts all day. And, mm-hmm. think, and then you think, look, you know about this more than they do. They're, they're, all, they're nice people in parliament, but they don't know what nurses do. But I still got anxious every time. And I think it's that old thing. I won't know the answer. I'm scared. I'll say the wrong thing. But you did such a terrific job at it, really. And I'm sure you were frightened. So to me, I hear you describe it. I think, well, you're describing leadership and you're describing the humility that needs to go with it. If you reflect back on the 44 years and maybe more particularly on the last probably 15 or 20, are there places no things should have gone? Well, there's, there always are, right? But are there things that having done differently could have, sh- you know, shifted the agenda today to be in a different place. First, I think we, the underpinning to all this has to be that it's such a gendered profession. And people still think nursing is what Connie Curran used to say, that people think it's, it's a profession for nice white women from the suburbs. And she said that on purpose, not to be racist, but to say that's the, how the framework is. It's things your mom can do, the profession wasn't very wasn't as diverse at the time as it is now. But my class was all women except two men, and I think in the end I was the only one who graduated. There were two Chinese Canadian women and one Nigerian Canadian woman. So it was a different time, but I think that that gendered set of assumptions about women, the value of their work, how you pay for it, how you describe it underpins everything else. I saw it again most recently in COVID when, again, we think we can take Nurse Betty from labor and delivery and with just a couple of hours turn her into a neurosurgical ICU nurse, right? Or a ICU or whatever the heck. And to me, it, it just, I was speaking to the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists Uh, the other day and we were talking about this i said we would never take one of you and say do you want to you want to pop over here and do a little heart surgery for a few hours like we would think that was ridiculous i think it betrays something about what people think about nursing practice that we bought people around it like chess pieces if if you know and i don't think they would do it to a profession that's mostly men we spent a lot of time building silos that add absolutely no value at all, creating associations and organizations and multiple levels of unions. And so if you look at one day when in the Office of Nursing Policy, when we counted it up, there was 135 organizations. So if you think of 13 provinces and territories and you think of the four categories and there's unions and regulators, and it, it adds up pretty fast, right? And then you start adding the 44 specialty groups and they have local chapter, provincial chapter, national, international. The resistance to some kind of unity, I think, we was, was did us wrong. But what if you had a few really strong messages that those 400 voices spoke in different ways to governments? The public has been way ahead of us for a really long time. So when we did the, we did some work in 2004 to 2006, 
projects that culminated in a report called Toward 2020, which was looking at scenarios for what 2020 might look like around nurse prescribing, more nurse practitioners. The public then said to us, we asked, for example, things like how, conf how confident or comfortable would you be getting your primary care from a nurse and going to a nurse-led clinic? They said then, we keep telling you, you're, you're the most respected. Where the hell are the clinics? Like, build the clinics and then we'll go to them. But until then, we're going to emerge. And who helps us in emerge anyway? It's the nurses. Exactly. Right? That's what you're seeing in the main, right? I know you're, you're seeing doctors for, for the technical surgical piece that you need when you break an arm or something. I think some of those things, for example, national licensing, nurses having a much broader scope of prescribing power, for example, are, are just so jarring to the normal way of doing business that it's hard for people to make to undo the inertia. And we've got hard work ahead around professional associations because they're, ne they're absolutely necessary. They're absolutely necessary. Well, you need collective action. You, you, this is not a bunch of people running off in 72 directions. I was talking to um, a group, UBC, Master of Nursing Students, and w we were talking about the code of ethics and I had pulled out the pieces around advocacy and so on. But if your head is down, because the thing you're being measured on is a bunch of tasks and get this done, sh shut up, stop talking, go patient to patient to patient and run and run and run and run. And uh, you know the study out of uh, the policy shop at Los Angeles that showed that nurses change positions on a unit an average of 27 times every 60 minutes because they're running for mostly supplies and the charts so the, so the stuff you need isn't where you are right so that busy 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 behavior and then we say but we want you to advocate and pay attention and step up you know around system transformation and what i was saying to them is you know absent some collective body we wouldn't have known, for example, that there were hearings about medical assistance and dying going on that didn't have any nurses there. And there's only two providers. One is nurses. You'd think, well, you couldn't surely change the criminal code. Or, yeah, you can <laughs> without involving nurses, right? You can do all kinds of things. Cannabis. When we talk to nurses about cannabis, I mean, I, I didn't do this, but CNA did to, and people on my team. I think most nurses, what they knew about cannabis was from what they had smoked. Like they didn't know if you can take a gel cap when you're pregnant or when you're breastfeeding. Or people said, well, can I have cannabis when I'm on chemo? <laughs> Good question, right? So CNA took that for two years and had money from the federal government to create the educational framework for nurses for cannabis, blah, 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 so that you know what to say when people ask you these questions. But if if you're just alone on the unit, yes, you'll have your union steward and, and there'll, be, there'll be the supports of unions around remuneration and benefits and, and they do a lot of terrific stuff. But that's a different function than who's got the pulse on the profession. And that's where I think, you know, the, I felt my value, because you said, Gail, you must realize you had some value I think grew over the years because I came to understand that. 
someone has to watch the group, not the individual. You have had so much influence in this profession. What do nurses need to hear from you to give them maybe the little bit of nudging uh, to take that leap of faith? It's a, it's a tough question, Mary, but I was trying to articulate it a little bit in the piece I wrote for the Canadian nurse where I mentioned that is that the conditions are not the profession. So how nursing is being practiced, especially during COVID, when we're exhausted and there's a lot of overtime and, and I'm not trying to minimize it all. I'm saying that as though it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal, but it's going to end. What worried me in the last couple of years was how close have we gotten to breaking people? Because nurses can bend a lot. And what I saw in the series of nurses' voices, because I looked at a bunch of them again, but one of the themes that ran through was the unbelievable ability of a bunch of mostly women to confront very difficult problems and work around them. Maybe it's innovation, maybe it's creativity, but I saw it with Bahar and her team, and, you know, she's full of beans and excitement and all that kind of stuff. But it was others. I saw it in my job when nurses went and set up a couple of tables in a park near Parliament Hill and said, well, if you're not going to take care of the public, we're going to take care of them. And Lee Chapman talked about some of that. There's this nobility and the ability of people to look at what looks like a horror show, and often is, and pick away the parts and fix it. We haven't been able to do that with our working conditions the same as we do things for the patients. And because I think we have more control over patients, because managers, and I speak now of having been a manager, they're not down there. They're, they want you to be down there. But you need to be also looking up, right? Because there's the, the, the two parts. Unbelievable amount of courage. Like, I see that courage all the time to confront awful things. And I mean, the last two years, good God in heaven, stuff that nurses witnessed, right? So we worked things around when we knew what to do, but some arbitrary barrier was put up in front of us that didn't make any sense for the care that had to be delivered. We have to muster somehow the energy to, to continue this issue, this I don't want to say fight, but it is a fight. The good thing right now is there's a lot of interest in the nursing workforce. We can't take this right now when there's just tossing out a billion for this and a billion for that. And, oh, yeah, you, we'll forgive student loans. Bring it on then. Forgive my student loan. I'll, I'll work for you for two more years, right? Uh, so while we have attention, we have a new federal chief nurse. Or we will. I mean, the position has been is being recruited. There's chief nurses in some of the provinces. This is the time to double down really hard. Say, we've talked about this for so long. Uh, we have spent hundreds of millions on research around the world to prove some things that children understand. More people watching over you, you get better care. We spent a lot of time listening to people say nurses are so resilient through the through COVID. No, they're not. They're lying on the floor crying. That's not what resilient means. Like, look it up. They're, you're breaking them. Resilient is a, a unit that has three deliveries a day and then for four days has eight deliveries a day. 
and everybody pulls together and works overtime and they get donuts and they, you know, right? You know what happens? It's like if there's a bus crash, there's an, it, it, this is a terrible way to say this, but there's an energy suddenly in the building. Codes get called, people rally, but you can't do that every day. For two years, we have to find ways as professional associations, the unions working together, the medical association paying a lot of attention to nurses. What nurses talk about more than anything is safe staffing. So mm -hmm. we focus on that, focus on the staffing. And even if it's things like bring a few people in so the nurse isn't doing the cleaning at night and mm -hmm. isn't answering the phone, like there's things you can do that just buy little bits more time so that nurses have enough of a break, hopefully this summer. Because once people rest, they usually don't want to leave the profession. Most people didn't go through all that to say, oh, I'm out of here. No, they, they go, they do that when you've broken them. To me, it is that the profession is fantastic. And out there in all this block of COVID, applications are through the roof. People are looking at that thing just like I did when I went into that emergency room. Oh, I want to do what they're doing. Look what they're doing. So what's next for Mike Villeneuve? I think that you have to know when you need a rest. I need some time to not be talking about the same things mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. the time. I'd like to spend a little time regaining some balance in mental health, physical health, and fatigue. It is a wonderful way to end season two, to not only hear your story, everything that you have to offer, everything that you've done for the profession. Sometimes thank you just says everything. I just want to say thank you as well for really particularly for supporting nurses voices but also for tonight for being the real mike mm -hmm. i mean you've mm -hmm. had a really wonderful leadership career lots of people know your name and hear you make speeches but maybe don't know you i hope you've enjoyed this episode of season two of nurses voices we hope to launch a third season in the fall of 2022 and we will keep you posted. Until then, we encourage you to view previous episodes from this season and from our first season. I'm sure you'll find them interesting. You can view and listen to Nurses Voices on a variety of platforms, including YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And remember, if you want to give us any feedback, please connect with us through nursesvoices.ca and remember to sign up for our e-newsletter. Nurses Voices is sponsored by Pfizer Canada. It is created by Donner Mueller. It is produced by Sector Limited. It is supported by the Canadian Nurses Foundation and the Canadian Nurses Association. Music